0: Sweet 16 is a podcast for members of Loud and Quiet, where musicians revisit that pivotal teenage year. They talk about where they were, what they remember, and how they took on the highs and lows of young adulthood. On this episode... Hello, this is Kevin Morby and this is my Sweet 16. The town that I grew up in, it's actually funny because I I live back there now, um, and it's a place called Overland Park, Kansas, and that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, where I grew up kind of carries the, the most common connotation of it, which is just very cookie cutter. Every house sort of has the same floor plan. There's like one tree in everybody's yard. Um, It's, it's very middle class, very middle America, sort of white bread situation. And where I live now is I live in sort of a older division of it that I had always kind of wanted to live in as a kid with a lot more trees. And it's a little bit more liberal part of the, of the suburb. And, um, yeah, but very, very middle American and very middle class. The year was 2004, I believe. I was very into music. Like, I feel like I was still sort of the same person that I am today in terms of, being obsessed with music and starting to collect records and and I was really starting uh, beginning my journey of writing songs and you know I was obsessed with like early Bob Dylan records and um, the microphones glow part two was pretty new at that time and I was obsessed with that and I have a lot of memories of driving around listening to that and uh, Joanna Newsom and I was a big Modest Mouse fan and a huge Mountain Goats fan as well, and um, yeah, I would have just gotten my driver's license, and um, my parents got me a used uh, Chevy Malibu that I would uh, I would drive around. I, for some reason, got really into listening to music on headphones while driving around, which I think is sort of unsafe, but I was doing a lot of that. I was definitely smoking cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes for like 11 years of my life, and that was like peak smoking cigarettes where I, you know, it, I just began and I was feeling great. My relationship to where I grew up at the time was, I, I completely hated it. Um, you know, I felt it lacked a lot of culture. And, you know, it's funny being that young and really having no um, idea of what's out there, rather, um, or, or except, you know, what you see in films or, or hear in music. You know, the mindset, I think, of most Midwesterners at that age, especially when you're growing up in sort of a sterile suburb, is that you could never possibly make it out of there. Um, but, you know, luckily, like Kansas City, like the city itself, it can offer, you know, a good bit of culture. And there's a lot of cool things happening there. And there's a town called Lawrence, Kansas, about 30 minutes west of overland park where i grew up and um that's a really cool little like hippie college town that had great record stores and you know different food and stuff like that and about you know where i grew up like 10 minutes north you're in the city and 10 minutes uh south you're in the complete country and so it's kind of cool to get a taste of both um by proximity but the suburb itself and my high school and everything i I really didn't relate to and I ended up dropping out of high school when I was around seventeen and I was always a really bad student and I I had friends, you know, so I guess that's kind of the most you can ask for besides an education, I suppose. But I just really I really wasn't good at it. I, I really love learning and I really love, you know, gaining knowledge, but I am um, not in that way. And I, I'm I'm sure it can work for many other people, but for me I just, you know, it felt um it just it made me feel crazy having to sit still for that long. And so I went to a regular high school for two years and then um, I got sent to this sort of alternative high school and then I ended up uh, leaving that early when I was around 17. It was basically made for kids like me who sort of have emotional problems or kids who'd been in trouble with the law um, and had been taken out of school for a while. And you know, there's a lot of kids who just gotten out of jail or, or, you know, juvenile hall rather. And, or kids like me who had ended up missing a bunch of school just because, you know, we were skipping school all the time. Um, or we're just failing out And it was actually a really cool place And the idea behind it was really cool And the principal was this kind of um, He's like a Vietnam veteran Who was a total hippie Who had started this thing where It was literally impossible to fail out um, the, they, they, they wouldn't make you take home homework And the, um, the teachers would sit with you and do your work So it was impossible to get below a B Which was actually a great system They would work on the work with you Until you fully understood it and something, and it was great. And and but something about it was like, once I started getting good grades, I was like, well, now I've proven i can get good grades, so maybe I can just get out of here. My regular high school, I think, had like twelve hundred kids at it, and then this high school had seventy in total. So the teachers could really take time with each student and kind of you know, uh, bend to their needs. You know, another thing I should have probably mentioned earlier is that I was very, I was getting very into punk around sixteen. You know, I was listening to a lot of political punk like crass or you know there's bands that are still around today that were just beginning then like bands like against me um there's this whole record label called planet x records which was out of a town in indiana and while the music definitely does not hold up it was very influential to me as a kid there was a a lot of different bands most notably there's this band called uh, this bike is a pipe bomb and they were all very political and i started getting really into these zines that were literally about, you know, liberating yourself from high school and going vegan and um, you know, uh protesting. And so I got really into all of those things and I was I was very vegan and um, you know, I was I was just into this total alternative lifestyle and that railed against everything that the suburbs in high school represented. Um so I really had no plan, but I was okay with having no plan, I suppose. And I, I think, you know, maybe in the back of my mind, like my dream was to be a musician. Absolutely. But that didn't seem like something that could actually be attainable. So I think I just don't think I was thinking about it. Yeah, I must have been 16 years old when I I first played under my own name. And I was also in a band, a punk band called the Creepy Aliens. And the Creepy Aliens was a very like they're very in line with that stuff I was just talking about this sort of like anarcho peace punk, you know, and some of it's pretty funny, but it it was a really good way to, you know, start playing around town and stuff. And I played drums in it. We actually ended up doing a few tours. um, One when I was 17 and one when I was 18, which were hilarious disasters. But, you know... They are fun experiences, but my first show played under my own name as Kevin Morby was when I was 16, and I started playing regularly around then, and I would end up opening for a lot of touring bands, and so it started to become more realistic that maybe someday I could be like these touring bands I open up for and go out on tour, and I was making friends and networking in my own little ways, and, you know, I would hear people in interviews say, oh, we played in Kansas City, and, you know, they have a great thing going there, so that was inspiring, but my first show was playing at a... um, a bookstore called Prospero's Books that's still around in Kansas City, and I was opening up for another local songwriter, my friend Ben Summers, had me open, and I was so incredibly nervous to do it. But when I did it, I I I just remember thinking, like, I, you know, I, like this is what I'm I'm here to do. You know, this is this is the best feeling I've ever felt. And you know, my songs probably weren't that great at the time, but it just, I felt like people. I got a response out of people that was surprising to me and I remember my friend Ben, who I was opening up for, who he was years older than me, but I remember his mom coming up to me afterwards and she told me that she was very moved by my performance and that I really needed to to follow this path and um, that was always really inspiring. So to Mrs. Summers out there, thank you very much. Another very influential time um, and show that I played that I should mention when I was 16 is that uh, Kimya Dawson, who I don't know if you're familiar with, but Kimya Dawson came through town and you know she's she's gone on to be pretty popular singer songwriter with a a great career and she came through town and i i got to open for her and um it was right before she was on that juno soundtrack so it was before she completely blew up but she still you know she had this sort of legacy behind her with the moldy peaches and she came to town and my friend and i had booked the show and i was opening and we made her like top ramen her and her band for dinner and which is hilarious to think about now but um you know, that was a big deal to me to see someone like her who sort of released these records she would make on four tracks and, um, she was touring around in a van and, um, that, that's, it, it, it kept feeling more and more accessible like it's something that I could end up doing. You know, when I ended up moving to New York when I was 18, I didn't play under my own name for a very long time. I just ended up joining a lot of bands. There was something about living in New York that was so intimidating to me to kind of what you're saying to to perform under my own name i just felt like i wasn't worthy or talented enough um until years later so it is funny i felt like in my small town i was okay to be kevin morby but in my in my uh you know adopted home of new york i had to to you know disguise myself a little bit more there's a couple of amazing shows that really live on in my mind i was sort of compiling you know a, a very bored quarantine list of the best shows i think i've seen and the ones that I could come up with, I was looking at the list and I was thinking, like, at least half of them are shows that I wasn't expecting it to be a good show, and then I was blown away. And I think that's part of why the show was so good, is because I went in with no expectations. And um, when I was 16, I saw Arcade Fire play, who to this day, I've never been a big fan, but again, this is sort of at the height of my punk, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go see this like weird, hyped-about indie rock band, you know, and they're playing in a bar, and bars are so lame, I only like seeing shows in basements and in warehouses, and which is really funny to think about because they're playing this, this dive bar called the Jackpot Saloon, which doesn't exist, but I went on to play with various bands over the years, many times. And so I kind of went into it thinking like, Oh, I'm not going to like this. And I went with a friend of mine who just kind of dragged me along. And then they began playing and it blew my mind. And I've, I've, you know, it, cause it was seeing this insane, this band meant for a stadium, but playing inside of this, you know, 150 capacity place. And I remember. Again, I was really into punk and then thinking this is the punkest thing I've ever seen. This is punker than any punk band I've ever seen. And um, it was really cool. And to this day, you know, I remember they were having um, tr- difficulty uh, with technical difficulty. And when the singer, his microphone went out and his guitar went it stopped playing. So he just threw his guitar off and he threw the microphone down on the floor. And it's all during that first song of that song, Wake Up. And he, um, he just took the mic stand and... And he just put it into the ceiling and started like moving it around, so like the ceiling just started to fall down, and like all this debris was falling over the crowd. Meanwhile, you know, it, you know, the, they're, they're playing violins and screaming, and one of them had a helmet on and was just hitting the helmet with drumsticks, and I it really made a big impression on me. You know, I remember also at that same venue seeing the Mountain Goats, and that was a big deal for me because they're my favorite band, and John Darnielle, who I've gone on to play shows with, and you know, he's a, he's a, an acquaintance of mine now, and. Um, but, you know, he was my hero at the time, and I remember I showed up early early enough to even sound, watch a sound check through the windows. And he came out after the sound check, and he um, he handed me a, a, a piece of bubble gum with a Bible verse on it. And then I watched him go get dinner, and I remember thinking, like, wow, this guy is living the life. He's playing this bar, and he gets to go just have dinner, and then he comes back and plays to all these people. And, you know, it was funny. Ten years later, um, when I was 26, I opened up for him. He was doing a couple night solo at this place called the Old Town School of Folk in Chicago and I flew out I was living in LA at the time and I flew out to open these shows for him and you know I was gonna be like hey we met you know a long time ago and it's that awkward thing where you have to tell someone that like oh I was I was your big fan at that time but before I could even get to that you know he was like I recognize you where have I seen you before and I was like well we met 10 years ago in Lawrence Kansas and he's like that's where he's like I'd never forget a a face as handsome as yours those are his words (laughs) not mine um (laughs) But it was, that was a really cool moment that I was like, wow, he, he remembered my face for the past decade, I suppose. And um, what a sweet guy. Sweet 16 is a Loud and Quiet production. Interviews by the Loud and Quiet editorial team produced and edited by Stuart Stubbs and Greg Cochran. As a Loud and Quiet member, you can receive future episodes in this series by hitting subscribe wherever you're listening right now.